your happiness in those things, that is a dead end road. That is a vicious cycle that never satisfies. Enjoying God's good gifts is not a sin, but it must not result in any thoughts, words, or deeds that do not glorify God. He has given us these good things to enjoy, and we enjoy them. But as we do that, nothing in the process of a thought, of a word, or a deed should ever not glorify him. We must be careful because we are his stewards. And investing in kingdom work, making disciples, and so on, is a privilege that impacts eternity. And we need to heavily invest there. That's really where eternal reward comes from. So if we're not developing this perspective and we're off track and we're not allowing these principles to guide us and to govern us as we are stewards of what God has entrusted to us, then obviously improper management is going to be the case. And this improper management of material wealth and possessions may be motivated by many things, okay? It could be motivated by, by all or one of these including greed. If we're greedy, I just uh, spent and invested some time with our Saturday leadership development group yesterday. And uh, one of the uh, requirements for church leaders is that they are not greedy. And so we spent the entire time talking about just that one facet of how we need to be qualified for leadership by not being greedy. So we can't be greedy, but yet it can be a motivating factor in this envy right generational cycles I mean if we were to take a poll of how many of us felt like in in, in our uh, coming to age and maturing process we're really well equ equipped for managing our resources well I think we might be surprised by the outcome of that I know I've talked to a lot of my friends who I trained for ministry with, and very few of us felt like we had been given what we needed to be good managers and good stewards over finances. We kind of just had to learn it along the way. So sometimes a generational cycle gets in the way and hinders us. And there can be anxiety and there can be any other number of things. The common root, however is a lack of finding satisfaction in Jesus, which results in poor stewardship. The antidote to wrongly stewarding our material wealth is implicit trust in God. Not trusting him and finding total satisfaction in him results in some things that we're going to look at from our passage. And the first one of those is what we will call idolatry idolatry. If we're not pursuing Jesus passionately, if we're not finding our identity in Jesus, if we're not finding our joy and total satisfaction in him, what is going to happen? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is we are going to find that identity and we are going to find that satisfaction and we're going to try to find that joy somewhere else. And what is that? That is the essence of idolatry and it leads to improper management and stewardship over the wealth that God has given to us. The scriptures speak 
clearly in our passage. Look at verse 24. We're not going to work through it in the order that the verses appear in our text. But let's go to verse 24, where the scripture says clearly, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't. It's impossible. So I like this because what it is showing us is some very strong language here. We need to develop a, a service attitude toward God, a stewardship attitude toward God. We need to serve him, and we cannot serve money and do that. So we have to serve him. And the idea is that the more that we serve and love God, the more we will dislike serving and loving money. Strong words. You either love the one or hate the other. We need to develop a dislike and a hatred for those things which God hates. God hates sin. God hates idolatry. He is jealous of his name and his own glory. And he calls his children out to serve him exclusively, to find their identity in him exclusively, to love him exclusively, and nothing and no one else should ever be set up as a rival in our lives. No man can serve two masters. You and I at times may think that we can. We may convince ourselves that it is possible to love wealth and to love material things and to, and to be a consumer rather than a steward, we, and, and then also at the same time to, to love God and to serve him. And maybe some of us are caught in that cycle this morning. We can be fooled into thinking that, but the scripture says otherwise. That can't happen. If you are out of uh, balance and you are serving things and serving your money and loving those things and finding your satisfaction and fulfillment in those things, you can't and won't find your satisfaction in God. No man can serve two masters. So I think the question then that we all need to consider as we think about this particular concept is really who or what are we serving today? Truly, honestly, and, and with all transparency, what am I serving? What am I living for today? What really makes me happy? The Apostle Paul wrote an entire letter to the church at Philippi trying to get them to see this concept correctly. The book of Philippians. And in one of those key verses in Philippians, Paul says it this way. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, right? And to die is what, church? Gain. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I really think that as a practical way, maybe if you still have some white space here in the outline, you might want to write it out. For to me, to live is, and then just put a blank there. Just, just put a blank there. Don't, don't write what the verse says. Just put a blank there. And at some point in time later, after you have had time to meditate on this passage, maybe you want to read the entire uh, letter to the church at Philippi. I highly recommend that 
on a regular basis. It helps us keep the right perspective of Jesus and who he is to us. And then go back and fill in the blank with truly and honestly that it might be a reflection of where you are today. You know, look at where you spend your monetary financial resources. What are you spending your money on? How are you using your other possessions? Is it just for you, the people in your family, and that's it? Or is it broader? You know, I love that quote, just going back to the quote from Wesley. He said it this way, he said, do you not know that God entrusted you with your money, all above what buys necessities for your families, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, and indeed as far as it will go to relieve the wants of all mankind? How can you, how dare you defraud the Lord by applying it to any other purpose? It's a strong statement, but it's a statement of self-denial. And as we ask and answer this question, for to me to live is, fill in the blank, after much thought and prayer, as we ask and answer that question, we can't be satisfied with selfishness if that's what our answer reveals. We can't be satisfied with self-centeredness if that's what our answer reveals. And we have to be willing to change the way that we are managing and appropriating the material wealth and possessions that God has given us so that it truly reflects that we are serving God with what he has given to us. I've encouraged you before, it doesn't mean that you can't have possessions that you enjoy, but use those possessions that you enjoy to make an impact for eternity, right? It's been a little while since we've talked about this, but what about taking that possession that you have? Maybe it's a boat. Maybe, maybe some of you uh, have a boat. You know what that stands for, right? Do I have to tell you? Right? Bust out another thousand, right? So be careful. Be careful with a boat. But maybe you have one. How can you utilize that for making disciples? Is it just for your pleasure? Or have you considered taking someone out on that vessel that, that doesn't know Jesus? Or maybe someone who does know Jesus who, who might need some encouragement in their journey with Jesus. And so you're going to use the time on the boat as you go fishing or look at the sunset or however it is you use your vessel to really make a difference for eternity. You see, that's the perspective that I want us to consider. The possessions that God has allowed us to have that we enjoy in this life can be used for eternal purposes if we are intentional. But if we're just a consumer and the boat or the car or the house or the nice yard or whatever it is that God's given to us are just focused on fulfilling what we want and what our family wants, I don't think that kind of stewardship glorifies God. And again, it's not that you can't enjoy it, but the primary focus of the things that we have truly is to bring God glory. And we ought to be focused on making an eternal impact with those things. Just, I want you to think about how you're utilizing what God's given to you in your resources and who you are serving with them. The second thing from our passage is that if we're not where we should be, we're improperly managing 
the results of that will be idolatry, but will also be what we'll call blurred vision. We won't see clearly. Look at Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Blurred vision. We need to be able to see clearly, to see clearly so that our life is going to be lived correctly for the honor and glory of God. But obviously, within the context of stewardship, our vision can be dimmed. We're not seeing correctly the right things. We're not developing a proper perspective. Our eyes and our sight are being dimmed, I think, according to the context, by the things of this world. This is immediately preceding our verse here in verse 22, isn't it? where we have this teaching about storing up treasure. It tells us very clearly not to do that on earth because these temporal, earthy things are, are inconsistent. They can be taken away from us. They can be lost. They can be destroyed. Others can even take them from us. So don't live your life for things that can be destroyed. Live your life using the temporal things for eternal influence and eternal impact. And find your satisfaction there in Jesus. But that takes a clear vision to get there. Your eyes, obviously this is metaphorically speaking, but you have to have that clear vision and mission in your life that this is the way you're going to live and this is the way you're going to walk and this is the way you're going to utilize the wealth that God has given to you. Otherwise, your life is going to be lived incorrectly. So how clearly are we seeing today? You know... Um, how many of you have to have white noise whenever you go to sleep? Anybody else like that? Okay. Do you have fans in your rooms and stuff like that? Yeah. So uh, if you can keep from getting there, don't ever start this because everywhere you go, you always have to have white noise. Okay. And uh, we've had some interesting conversations when we've headed out in our vehicle on trips. We will <laughs> we'll say, okay, did you remember the fan? Like, oh, bummer, we forgot the fan. Who, how, how could we ever forget the fan? So anyway, and I know you can produce these noises on your phones now. You can actually get apps that are white. That doesn't work for me. So I, I've got to have that fan. And it is an obstacle in our bedroom, okay? So I turn that fan on, and uh, of course it's dark, and uh, if you have to get up during the night for any reason at all, you got to be careful you don't run into that thing. And yes, it has actually happened uh, in, in our room. And uh, I always take the blame for that and uh, try to get it in the right place. But uh, there it is, right? And, and why does that happen? Why do we stumble? Why do we ever stumble like that? We stumble because we don't see well. Our, our eyesight has been dimmed and blurred, and we, we don't find the right path. We get on the wrong path, and we run into the obstacle, and in this example, could cause physical harm and pain, for sure, right? It could be really a bad thing. 
And that's what happens when our vision gets blurred with our stewardship. We get on the wrong path instead of the right path. It affects our life. It affects the way that we live. And our body is full of darkness. The practical side of living is not going to be well lit. We're not going to see the right path. Clearly, we'll make wrong decisions for the wrong reasons. And we will not follow after the light that God wants us to. It's very important then that we don't allow our vision to become blurred by the things of this world. It truly does tie in with maintaining an eternal perspective. That every resource, every possession that I have could impact eternity if I'm seeing correctly and walking correctly. If I'm not and my vision gets blurred, I'm going to misstep, I'm going to run into an obstacle, I'm going to suffer damage, I, I will not be making good decisions. I must see clearly to make good decisions. Don't allow your vision to be blurred by the things of this world. Why? Because that will result in confused values. And that's what's going on in verse 25 of our text. Look at that with me in, here in Matthew chapter 6. Confused values will emerge. Therefore, the writer, the writer of Scripture and Jesus is saying to us here, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed uh, like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But instead of all this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Confused values, worrying about material things instead of investing in eternity with those things living for the accumulation of those things because of what? A lack of trust in God. Remember, that was one of our first ideas that I shared with you this morning, that that is going to determine our stewardship, whether or not we can trust him. Did you see that question in verse 30 that ends with, you of little faith? Jesus speaks those words to his followers four times in the Gospels. That's a cool study, by the way, if you want to get your concordance out and find all four of those occurrences. And in each one of those, each one of those occurrences where he talks to them about having little faith, he addresses an obstacle to faith. Here, 
its worry over material things, a wrong value system. We should be concerned with investing in eternity, not worrying about the material possessions and whether or not we're going to have them, but rather trusting God with that by faith to supply our needs. This is one of the principles I pointed out yesterday to the men in our leadership study. If you go to Philippians, you'll find there that Paul says to them that his God would supply all of their needs according to what? His riches, heaven in Christ Jesus, right? So, so that is how he is going to provide for them. And to whom was he speaking? This is a contextual question that I think needs to be asked when analyzing that promise. To whom was he speaking? The Philippian church, they were living in deep poverty, and what did they do? They heavily invested in the efforts of making disciples through Paul, and they also sent money to the needy saints in Jerusalem. In fact, Paul gets those that, that gift, and he hears about them giving, and there, there had to have been maybe some kind of conversation take place there where, where Paul was like, wait a minute, you really can't afford to give this stuff because you're so poor. And Paul says, no, they, they insisted that we that, 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 that we take the funds even though we were giving them out of our deep poverty. Paul says they insisted that we take the money and use it for kingdom building disciple making purposes. And then that promise was given to them, right? Unselfish, living in self-denial, giving way more than what any human being would ever think that they could afford. How do you get there? You have the right value system. You understand and know that you don't determine giving based on what you think you can afford. And you're willing to sacrifice in your giving and having the right values. I think you're able to claim that promise that God makes through the Apostle Paul. That my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's not given to selfish people. Self-centered people people with confused values. No, that promise was given to a poor church who had somehow, by the grace of God, developed radical generosity. Radical generosity, when you think of their poverty. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take care of you because you put me first. And that's what verse 33 of our text talks about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things food, clothing, and so on will be given to you. I'll meet your needs. I'll meet your needs, but put me first. And he repeats it a little differently in Philippians. Finally, today, we come to the last thing. This type of improper management results in unreasonable living. And we have a few verses from our text. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That's what a self-centered person does. That's what someone does who hasn't learned proper stewardship. The person who has learned proper stewardship lives this way, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? You want to worry about these things? You want to make these things the focus of your life? Can you really change anything about it 
By worrying? And of course, the answer to that question is no. Why do you worry about these things then? And he goes on to talk to them about the flowers of the field, how they grow, and and he he just continues to, to talk about the grace of God on his creation. So why are you worrying about what you will eat there in verse 31 and what you will drink or what we will wear? For the idolaters, there's our word, idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So again, unreasonable living. It's unreasonable because it doesn't make any sense. It is senseless for a believer who has an awesome God, the awesome God that we sang about together this morning, the gracious God that we sang about this morning, who will provide for us, who will give us everything that we need. It is unreasonable for his children who are stewards of what he owns to lay up treasures <coughs> on earth. It's unreasonable. It's un- it should be unthinkable to us for us to live that way in a selfish, wasteful, consumer mentality. It does make sense, though, if we see ourselves as stewards to take all of these things that we don't own and use them in a maximum way to glorify him by investing in making disciples. So, we've talked about a lot of things today in regard to stewarding our finances. And I hope that it will cause us to look deeply in our hearts and to examine how we are using what God has given to us and how we are managing those things for his glory. Some of us may need to make radical change today. Radical change for God's glory. And I hope that we're willing to embrace that radical change and to see the fruits of it in our life.